Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. This is Football Social Daily. I'm Jim Salverson and I am angry. Every day we do this, another Premier League podcast covering off the news and action from the English top flight. We ask for very little in return, maybe just sometimes the odd review. On Monday's podcast, I asked for just that. A review on the show, however you listen to our podcasts. Not a sausage. Not a tickle, nothing, and I feel let down. So, if you do want to leave a review on the podcast, do so in Apple Podcasts or however you listen. Cheer me up, plus you'll probably get a little shout-out on the show too. Next time I'm on, I'm hoping to read at least 3,000 reviews at the beginning of the podcast. We probably won't have time for any football news, but at least we'll get the reviews out of the way. Maybe you can let us know what you make of the performances of our two guests on today's podcast. Those guests are Ian Brennan and Matt Pidd. How you doing, boys? Hello, yeah, good, thanks. Not bad, Jim, thank you. Good, good. Well, the relentless football calendar continues today, so we're going to look back at last night's Champions League action for Liverpool, who stopped the rot with a 2-0 win over RB Leipzig, a win that, according to manager Jurgen Klopp, was unexpected. The headlines in the Champions League last night were probably very much stolen by Barcelona, who look a shadow of their former selves. They shipped four to PSG. We don't normally talk about action outside the Premier League, but I've got to ask what is going on at the Camp Nou at the moment. Is it the end of an era? The end of their dominance for Barcelona? Plus, there's two Premier League matches tonight to look forward to. Burnley face Fulham at the wrong end of the table, whilst at the right end of the table, Everton welcome Manchester City. Matt's team to Goodison Park. And also, because it's Wednesday... We'll wrap up the podcast with our AQA section of the show. Questions, questions, questions. We'll be answering some of the questions that have come in on social media over the past 24 hours or so, as we always do on a Wednesday. Hopefully, we'll be able to offer some answers to those questions as well. But let's start off in the Champions League. RB Leipzig, nil. Liverpool, two. Really good game, this. Two teams that both like to play football on the front foot, cut from the same cloth, you might say, but ultimately Liverpool came out on top. Jurgen Klopp said the victory defied many people's expectations. Do you agree with that, Ian? I mean, was it that the club have reached the last 16 or they look like they'll go through to the next stage or beating Leipzig? Because I'd say all of those were pretty standard expectations for Liverpool. Yeah, I I didn't really think that there was some sort of massive... uh... Uh, issue uh, with with this particular match you know you expect Liverpool to to be getting to the final stages of the Champions League and I don't think Leipzig are really you know in the same bracket with the best one in the world as a Barcelona or a PSG or a Real Madrid where you could think well you know Liverpool might be in for a real test here I think actually Leipzig are a very similar team to Liverpool in terms of how their season is going they've they've got a, a good team of players but perhaps have been underachieving a little bit I don't think they've had the best results uh, over the past um, couple of months or so. And I think similar kind of issues, really, with, with injuries to, to key squad members. And, you know, they are sort of fairly um, in, in similar situations. Um, but 
I think Liverpool, with the resources they've got, have still even uh, clearly got the the stronger team and and played you know played the sort of football that we know that they they can play. It was an entertaining mm. game and uh, and yeah came out on top and and crucially you know they needed the win for for morale I think regardless of the competition they just needed a bit of a break and a bit of a win to to prove that they can do it and um, and hopefully that will will help them out across all the other competitions now. I guess that's kind of what Jurgen Klopp was alluding to, was the fact that this result came off the back of three defeats in a row in the Premier League, and Jurgen Klopp conceding the title to your lot as well, Matt. So from that point of view, this game was a morale-boosting one, and we did see signs of Liverpool from last season emerging. It does feel like it might be a little bit late in the day in order to mount a title challenge from here from Liverpool but the signs are there that they are still a decent team and they should be getting top four well we know they've still got the quality there Liverpool like I said they've just come off the back of three defeats and obviously if they would have lost last night you know the morale would have been even lower than what it was already there was talks of uh, some unrest in the dressing room Klopp may have lost control of it something like that I don't know if that was just rumours or there was actually some sort of truth to it but that was a big game for Liverpool last night. Last 16 in the Champions League, Leipzig, second in the Bundesliga. Um, they're a decent side and they needed that for their confidence last night, Liverpool. We know they have a love affair with the Champions League and you know they, they've conceded the Premier League, like you were just saying. Um, you know They can go and win that now and that will turn what could be a disastrous season for Liverpool fans into, you know, a very, very good one because that would be a seventh Champions League for him. I'd absolutely love that. It'd probably um, ease the pain of not retaining the Premier League. You know, there's some decent teams in the Champions League that they've got to get past first, but, you know, they've got one there that they've got two away goals against. So, you know, that's possibly one out of the way. We, we know what they're like in Europe. They can just turn up, even if they've got no Van Dijk or they might be struggling in the league. They just seem to be able to do it on European nights for some reason. But, you know what? Mm. Um, Klopp's been through some personal issues, you know. He's his mum's just passed away, and he's obviously got a lot going on away from the field. So, you know, sometimes there's bigger things going on than football in uh, managers' lives. But that would have um, eased his um, his his pain on the pitch that last night, definitely. For Leipzig, this was their home leg, inverted commas. I say home leg because COVID restrictions meant that they couldn't actually play in their home arena. Instead, the game was played in Budapest's Puktas Arena rather than in Leipzig. Do you think that disadvantaged Leipzig in any way, Ian? Or, I mean, home and away advantage seems to be a distant memory at the moment without actual crowds in the stadiums. So can they blame that for the defeat? I don't think so, really. I think if they were used to playing in front of a crowd... Uh, and they had to play it for whatever reason away in an empty stadium. I can see why that might have impeded them. But I think when you're playing in one stadium that's got nobody in it, they're all pretty much the same as as the next, aren't they? Uh, mm. And and the travel wasn't particularly ridiculously far. I mean, yeah, it was a different uh, location, different country. But um, I, I don't see how playing in an empty stadium, wherever it is, really, I don't think there is so much as a home advantage anymore. I think we've seen that in the Premier League where some teams have, have actually struggled at their, their home ground because of a lack of, of atmosphere and, and have actually played better away from home. So, no, I don't think so. I just seem to me from watching the... Um, I've watched the highlights again a couple of times. I watched a bit of the match last night when it was live as well and, and listened to the rest on the radio. And the, they just didn't seem to be fully on it last night, Leipzig, for whatever reason. They just, I don't know, just seemed to be slightly... Uh, um, surprised by the pace at which Liverpool were playing. There was an early chance for Leipzig that if it had gone in, I guess the story could have been very different and it needed a decent save from Alisson. It was a strong header down to his right-hand side, low diving save, pushed it onto the post. Really strong save and it's Alisson who the finger has been pointed at in recent games, his clangers have kind of led to defeats against Manchester City at the weekend as well against... Who did they play at the weekend? Leicester. Against Leicester, that's right, of course it was. And so for him to make an early save in the game against Leipzig was really important. Would you agree, Matt? Because he's a top quality player, there's no doubt in that. But when a keeper starts to make mistakes, it does affect their confidence and it can result in a run of poor fall, as it can for any player, I guess. But for keepers, it seems more prevalent. Yeah, absolutely, because when a goalkeeper makes mistakes, you know, nine times out of ten, it results in a goal. So, um, you know, Alisson really needed that as a confidence booster last night. Nice save there. 
he's a world-class goalkeeper. We all know this and we know that some of the best players in the world can go through dips of form. Um, I thought maybe Klopp would have taken him out of the spotlight last night a little bit, might have dropped him and sort of like took him out the firing line. But, you know, Klopp's shown faith in his uh, number one there. Fair play to him. And um, it's paid dividends last night because he kept a clean sheet and obviously made a nice save there, like you was just saying. We all we all, we all, all know how good he is as a goalkeeper. I mean, there's, there's talk of him um, and Edison, you know, like who's the best out of the two, you know. And there's not much between them. Obviously, for me, because I'm a City fan, I'm going to swing towards Edison, but Liverpool fans will swing towards Edison. Edison's made his, you know, a fair share of clangers himself. You know, for City, he's... Um, He's caught himself outside the box and been a lot of times and stuff like that. And it just happens, and it just happens for goalkeepers more because you, you see um, an outfielder misplace a pass and you know it won't really result into anything, but it's still a mistake at the end of the day. But when a goalkeeper makes a mistake that's just as basic as that, you know, like Allison facing the pass, it'll end up at the forwards' feet, and the forward will come and stick it in the net. So no, it's gonna, it's just gonna be one of them for Allison. He's had two games now. He's probably got them clangers out of the way, and um, he'll probably go on to make no mistakes for the rest of the season now for them. I think it's part of the sweeper-keeper role as well, isn't it? So the likes of Edison and Allison, yeah. and, and a lot of the criticism that goes towards Jordan Pickford as a goalkeeper too is because they're trying to play with the ball at their feet. They're not making those passes that go past the halfway line and find a centre-forward. They are playing to the left and the right and trying to make these difficult passes. So it's you'd expect there to be more mistakes. And when those mistakes happen, because they're in the final third, they're going to more often or not lead to a chance or lead to a goal. Yeah. One of the big things for Liverpool last night, I think, was Mane, Salah and Firmino both playing as the front three. They are the main men. Mane got his goal. Salah got his goal as well. When they play, Liverpool create chances. Liverpool look sharp. And I guess it does ask the question, what happens when these guys do leave? Because at some point they will leave the club. They will either be tempted away by a transfer or if that doesn't happen, they're going to retire because none of them are at the, the beginnings of their career. Every single time Liverpool have tried to bring in a replacement for one of these people, it doesn't seem to have quite worked either. So what do they do, Ian? Is it okay? Do they just need to spend a load of money and bring it? I mean, we saw Mbappe on fire last night in the game where Barcelona lost to PSG. We'll talk about that shortly. But do they just need to buy the best of the best in order to replace the best of the best? Yeah, I think you're going to have to spend big to get guaranteed replacements. And sure, they might have some players coming through the uh, you know the, the Liverpool academy. They've got some very good young players, but it obviously takes time for them to be the finished article. And I think for Liverpool to be in a t- to be a team that are going to hit the ground running and and have that consistency, should one of those players like. Um, Mane or uh, or Salah leave for whatever reason, then you want instant replacements. I think that's going to have to come by by spending big and, and going big for perhaps n- not necessarily Mbappe mm. because I think he'd be pretty expensive over the next uh, year or two. But you know somebody who yeah. is um, certainly established in 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 scoring goals. That said, um, I know there's a lot of fuss about. Um, Upper Meccano, is that how you pronounce his name? Um, Upper Meccano. That's him, yeah. And there's a lot of raving about him on the continent, you know, being a, a, a great defender. But actually, he was at fault for both of the Liverpool goals, and he was at fault for the disallowed goal that mm. Liverpool scored as well. Um, so uh, maybe perhaps he would be a good addition to the Premier League for whoever is playing against him. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, back to the the striker situation. Yeah, you, you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to go out and get quality strikers from you know a, a team that probably has Champions League experience. Perhaps a team like Leipzig and um, Unkunku was was pretty good. I thought mm. for, for them. Um, it's not a player I've particularly seen before, but he seemed pretty lively and probably would be a, maybe somebody that Liverpool might have their eye on now. Before we preview tonight's Premier League games, let's step away from the Premier League briefly because we have to talk as football fans about Barcelona's game against PSG last night in the Champions League losing 4-1 at home as well I don't think anyone really saw that result coming Mbappe was unstoppable got his hat trick but I think more importantly than that is the mess that Barcelona seem to be in at the moment because it's it's been a decline over a number of years potentially but right now it just seems to be falling apart at the Camp Nou. Is this the end of the dynasty, Matt? Because they seem to be in financial trouble off the pitch. They seem to be in personnel trouble on the pitch. It's quite difficult to see how they can pull themselves out of this and rebuild. 
I mean, when when you look at the Barcelona um, teams of years gone by, like 2010-11, for instance, it was always hard for them to maintain that and players were always getting old. And you're not going to replace Iniesta's, you're not going to replace Xavi's, you're not going to replace Puyol's, you know, Davies and stuff like that. You're never, you're never going to replace them. Um, the problem is with Barcelona is probably the recruitment side of things. I think they've just recruited in the wrong way. I've just, I think they've thrown money at players just aren't going to cut the mustard for them, and it's 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 showing now. We're seeing the uh, implications off the pitch as well with them, and you can't rely on Messi forever. Messi's, you know, as great as a player he is and as fantastic a player he is, he's getting old, yeah, and he's going to lose that yard of pace, and he's not going to be able to dictate dictate the play that he used to be able to do. Um, he's going to need the players around him to help him out. Because listen, listen as, as good as a player he was back in them days, Messi, like you're talking ten years ago, there, he still had the quality around him to help him shine. But he just hasn't got that anymore, and he can't bail Barcelona out all the time. And you know, it's it's just it's football, isn't it? It swings and roundabouts. You know, it's like Man United. Man United used to dominate all the time. Now look at him. You know what I mean? They're not. They've not won a league title since you no know, 2013. Barcelona's time's coming, you know, Atletico Madrid are doing bits of the, the league now and they've got other teams in there. So, you know, it's just one of them. Barcelona just going to have to accept it for what it is, you know, wait for whatever happens off the pitch financially and just see where they can go from there. But I can't see them winning a, a European trophy or a, a league yeah. trophy for, for quite some time. It's funny, isn't it? When you get a team that are at the top of their game and they are dominant, like Manchester United were in the 90s, as you said, like Manchester City are now to a certain extent, it's very difficult to imagine how those teams will be knocked off their perch. And you kind of think their dominance will go on forever, but it is cyclical. It does come around. Teams rise and teams fall. It happens in every league, in every era of all time. So it will change and it will happen. It just feels shocking that it's happening to Barcelona when they've been at the top of their game for so long. As for Lionel Messi, Matt says you can't rely on him forever. I mean, I think it's pretty clear he's going to be leaving in the summer. They can't afford to keep him fundamentally and he doesn't want to stay at the team if they're not going to be winning trophies. Has there been a trick missed, Ian, in terms of his move? Because I'm sure he would have been happier playing for City this season than playing at Barcelona with the state (laughs) they're in. And actually, if City were going to get him, they should have got him this summer when he still had a year extra on the clock almost. So, I mean, if he moves to the Premier League, be it City or be it somewhere else, at the end of this season, is that going to be too late? Are we not going to see the best of Messi? I think he's still got something left in the tank. And I, I know what you're saying, a, a year at uh, less of his best. But I suppose from City's point of view, if they were getting him, it'd be a year less on the uh, on the price tag as well, I suspect, too, and on the wages. Um, he's scored... His 20th goal of the season last night uh, with that penalty he scored. Uh, and that makes it the 13th consecutive year that he's scored over 20 goals. So he's, so he's, he's washed an absolute, up, done for. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's absolutely washed up. And not, not only that, he's scored every year in the Champions League since 2005. So 17 consecutive years um, without missing the uh, without missing the net in the well, Champions League. I don't think he's going to go off the boil in the next six months, um, <laughs> is, what, is what I'd say. But um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where he does go next. If he goes to Man City, I think absolutely amazing for the Premier League because he is... You know he's he's the Pele of our of our era, isn't he? Is he's the mm. undoubtedly the the best player that there has been um, certainly in in the last twenty years or so, and and possibly you know certainly one of the best players of all time with without a shadow of a doubt. And what a great advert it would be uh, to see him in the Premier League um, visiting places like Burnley. Took a long time for Ian to bring the stats this morning, but there we go. 17 minutes into the podcast, came up with a cracker. Ah, well delivered, sir. Well yeah, delivered. Well, there's, there's, uh, there's another one on, on the Mbappe front as well. The, 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 my main stat, really, was this one, that uh, Mbappe yesterday scored, uh, scored, uh, scored, like my daughter, uh, scored, <laughs> scored, scored, a, uh, scored a hat-trick against Barcelona. Only the third player in Champions League history to score a hat-trick against Barcelona. Do you know who the other two are? One of them's Shevchenko. Yep. No, I don't know the other one. And the other one, it's a shame Marley's not on because it's an ex-Newcastle player. And I know a Newcastle player scoring any goals is quite exciting. <laughs> but um, uh, Tino Espria. Wow, for who? Newcastle United, back in the days when they wow. were good. Wow, Newcastle United score a, scored a hat-trick. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't believe that had ever happened. <laughs> 
bang, bang, great stats. Nice one, Ian. Right, we're going to talk about match previews next. We're going to discuss Burnley versus Fulham at the tail of the table and Everton versus Manchester City at the top. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at the Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Action tonight in the Premier League. Let's start with Burnley versus Fulham, purely because that's the early kickoff. I think even the most adamant Clarets fan would find it difficult to argue that that game takes top billing over Everton versus Manchester City. But we are going to start there. Two sides that have both found a little bit of form recently. And this game looks a different prospect than maybe it would have looked a few weeks ago when both Burnley and Fulham were struggling for form. Is it going to be a good game, though, Matt? I guess that's the question, because at the end of the day, I mean, Fulham do play some nice football, but Burnley, yeah, well, they're Burnley. <laughs> um, well, they've come off a nice uh, 3-0 win against Palace. Granted, Palace were terrible, but, you know, you've got to, uh, you've got to put the ball in there. Yeah. I do the business on the pitch, and you know, I think it was a was it Lowton scored a really nice goal at the end, like it was a chip chip over the top, and he scored a really nice volley. That was like the most unburnly like goal mm. I've ever seen in my life from them. Um, but yeah, they've they've uh, they've seemed to have found a little bit of form. I think they're they're sixteenth in the table, I think, and um, Fulham are currently sitting eighteenth. So it's a it's a big game in that respect. There's only five and six points separating them. So if Fulham get a win tonight, that draws Burnley closer to the relegation, and Fulham further out the relegation battle. Um, Burnley playing at home, like we were discussing before, home doesn't really mean much at the moment with no fans being in the ground, but Burnley obviously going to be a little bit more comfortable playing at Turf Moor. Um, they don't change their style of football for anyone. You know, they play the uh, what Marley likes to call Brexit football. You know, the simple 4-4-2 tactics. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that term. Um, yeah, so they'll, 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 just, they'll just go for that. And obviously, Ben Mee's injured tonight, which is um, a big blow for them because, you know, they rely a lot on Ben Mee. He's well, you know, one, of our, one of our top defenders, but they've still got enough there to um, to, to keep Fulham out. Fulham off mm. um, a decent win there against Everton. So it's going to be going to be definitely... I wouldn't say it's going to be an entertaining, you know, end-to-end game of football tonight, but it's going to definitely be um, a battle of tactics tonight between uh, It's Scott very Park difficult to pin Dyche. a team's success on one individual player, but actually Burnley's changing form at the beginning of the season coincided completely with Ben Mee returning to that starting lineup. He's the captain after all. He has a great partnership with James Travoski and it did definitely affect the way the team played when he came back. The fact he is injured tonight it could see it could be a real problem for Burnley. We'll have to see how that one pans out, but for Fulham it's changed in recent weeks for them as well and it hasn't been a quick change. It has certainly been a progression. They've kind of gone from the beginning of the season where it looked like every team was going to thump five past them to this slow progression to actually a reasonable Premier League team that are playing nice football, Ian. But what what has changed in recent weeks? What has been the difference? Has there been a, a thing that's flipped or clicked that meant Fulham have looked from surefire relegation candidates to, I mean, still potential probably relegation candidates, but there is a glimmer of hope there because they're playing decent football and they're starting to score a few goals as well. Yeah, I mean, going back to the last time they faced Burnley in, in the FA Cup, I mean, th- they didn't have a good time of that. But since that game in the middle of January in, in the FA Cup, they've largely kept some fairly clean sheets, uh, certainly when they've played teams that are around about them uh, and um, and latterly with, with West Ham and, and Everton as well. So they've certainly tightened up the defence. They haven't been leaking goals quite as much as they were. I'm not exactly sure... If they've changed their lineup in any way to reflect that, but that seems to be the main difference, um, and and not getting beat has been the main mm. thing that's changed. They've only lost uh, against Leicester since that FA Cup game against Burnley. Drew with Brighton, drew with West Brom, got beat by Leicester, drew with West Ham, and then beat Everton uh, most recently at um, uh, the weekend on on Sunday. So they've. Um, They've they've shored up the defence certainly, and and they are nicking the goals, and and it, and it 
maybe and we've talked about the inconsistency and I'm going to talk about the inconsistency with Everton uh, in, in a few moments but uh, whether that was an inconsistent Everton performance against Fulham I'm not sure but shows that they can nick the goals and, and they've performed well a, a, against the teams that are around them so it might be a, a very different prospect um, Fulham and Burnley meeting each other than, than it was the last time they met um, just a, a month or so ago. I think goals have been the big problem for Fulham and just taking the West Ham game as an example, it was a draw in the end, but Fulham really should have won that. They had 20 chances over the course of that game, but failed to put the ball in the net. I get, one of the differences, I guess, in their game against um, Everton in midweek was the inclusion of Josh Madger, their new signing from Bordeaux, who was once off Fulham. And he's only really come into the team because Mitrovic is out under COVID regulations at the moment. He's self-isolating, so they had to look elsewhere for a front man. But you get two goals on your debut, it's quite unlikely you're going to lose your place. Do you think Josh Madger is going to be the man who can get the goals for Fulham? Does he look like a Premier League striker, Matt? Well, going off his performance against Everton, why not? You know, I've not seen enough of him yet to um, to say if he's going to be, you know, Fulham's saving grace. But it's a great start for the lad. You know, fair play to him coming in against a decent side like Everton, coming scoring two goals and getting a win on your debut. Um, it's going to definitely give him a boost of confidence. Mitch, we know Mitrovic's quality. We know we know how good he is, but they, they seem like two soft. Like... He hasn't been good in the Premier League, though. Has no, he? he's not. No, he's he's, he's been rubbish this season. He's, he's um, I like to call a decent Championship striker, and he's, he has got that quality there, but he just can't seem to do it in the Premier League on a consistent enough basis. And maybe this is now where Fulham realise, like, look, you know, we've we've had Mitrovic for a few years now. Maybe this is um, our time, you know, to maybe put him up for transfer at the end of the season and put all our eggs in one basket and uh, stick with Major because he's come in there, Everton first game for him, you know, scored two goals, fantastic start for the lad. And if he carries on, you know, the way he started, he could give Fulham a fighting chance because, like I was saying before, they've given themselves more of a fighting chance now than what they did. You were saying, you know, they're, they're still relegation mm-hmm. candidates. But they're sort of less likely, you know what I mean? Like they've given themselves that sort of little bit of a um, little bit of hope, getting results like that against Everton. Because I couldn't see that happening now. I thought Everton were going to pan them, to be honest. But um, you know, this season, especially, you know, there's some really strange results. So it's um, if, if Fulham have got a chance of getting out of that that bottom three, then why not this season? You know, and if this lad comes in and um, carries on the way it started. You know, it's going to be, um, it's going to definitely be interesting. And if he scores, you know, early on tonight, you know, he could go on, you know, bag a hat trick, mm. maybe go one better. Who knows? I've been quietly impressed with Scott Parker, Fulham manager this season, mainly because his style on the touchline, best dressed football manager, even better than Mikel Arteta. Great I hair think, this season. Great but, hair as well. Great hair, and he's and he's wearing this kind of weird. It's it's like a suit jacket <laughs> at the moment, but it looks like it's a down insulated suit jacket. And it's kind of got padding in it. It's a brilliant invention. I've never seen anyone wearing it before. So fair play to Scott Parker on the fashion stakes. On the football stakes, however, if Fulham do go down, and I think for the record they will still go down, can you see another team coming in for Scott Parker, maybe poaching him and him remaining a Premier League manager, even if Fulham don't remain a Premier League team, Ian? Well, I'm not sure about a Premier League team, um, but I can certainly see him being snapped up by one of the top championship teams because he's got that rare quality of, of being a manager that's actually got himself out of that league. And I think that's a uh, something that's a, a really in-demand commodity in the championship. It is a very, very tricky league to get out. And there is certainly some kind of knack to it. Um, not every manager has, has achieved it. There are some managers in that league who have been in that league for a long, long time and never got out of there. And so having that skill and that almost the, the confidence of knowing that it's been proved no matter how you get out with it whether it's the, the playoffs or, or whether it's automatic it's still something for the CV that's not to be underestimated but I can certainly see him at, at one of the other teams I'm not sure he would go straight into a, one of the, the bigger Premier League teams but he has got good experience he, he's, he's got um, the right idea in, in terms of the style of football that he wants to play he has a certain style he knows how his team want to, to play they do play attractive football it's not kind of like a, what we call the what's it the Brexit football you were talking about yeah. uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know it's it's fairly it's fairly modern and it, and he needs uh it probably needs maybe slightly better players than he's got now to to fully live that out but yeah i can, I can see him going to one of the say bottom half teams potentially um yeah. but i think i can i can certainly see say if they didn't get promoted like you know a norwich or a swansea or somebody like that being interested yeah. in him should they need it 
like you say, he's got the pedigree to of bringing a team back up, and that is an in-demand quality at the moment. Let's talk about the other game tonight, Everton versus Manchester City. Everton very much the Jackal and Hyde team this season. Very little consistency in their performances. Why, Matt? Solve the conundrum for us. Is it just that everyone expected so much of Carlo Ancelotti? I think everyone expected Everton to be top four this season. But is it just a case of him settling in, of him needing more time to implement his playing style and ultimately build that squad in his own image a bit more. Yeah, possibly. You know, he still needs to make um, a couple more signings for his, his squad because he's, st- he's still got some players there that I don't think are, um, are good enough for Everton anymore. Um, he's got Calvert-Lewin playing some, um, sort of, well, the best football of his career at the moment, his best goal-scoring farm anyway. Um, so yeah. we know that he's made an impact on that front. He's got them playing slightly better football. Um, and you know the start he made as well. It's it's normally like um, it's it's normally like a, a double-edged sword that you can make a really great start and then just fall off, or you can just um, you can just keep going. But obviously Everton fell off. They had a few you know bad results there, and they sort of just dropped off a little bit. But then they're still in in contention for the European places. So maybe it's not all bad on that front. Um, still got some. They've still got some quality players. I I like Bernard. Me. I've I, I've always liked Bernard. I liked him at uh, Shakhtar. That that's gonna like him now. Whatever. When he's um, when he's on form, they'll they've got no Calvert Lewin tonight, so that's gonna be a big um, obviously a big problem for them on the goal scoring front. You know, um, they've still got Richarlison that can score goals and stuff like that. But Calvert Lewin's been their go-to guy mm. this season. You know, he's um, he's in double figures already. He's um, playing the best football his career. He's turned into their Filippo Inzaghi. Um, you know, when he was at Milan, Ancelotti had Inzaghi there. I think he's, that's what he's, he's moulding Calvert-Lewin into, that poacher in the box. You know, the guy that he just comes off his shin, you know, his knee, his shoulder, whatever it goes into. Mm. That's the way he's been playing at the moment. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be difficult for Everton today. I think pretty much all his goals have been within the six-yard box, haven't they? They've yeah, all been that's, and that's the sign of a great striker right well, there. Tapping's is probably unfair, actually. That's, but... that's, that's the sign of a great striker. He's knowing where the right time. He's attacking the front post. The back, you know, he's in and around the six-yard box, putting himself in the right position for someone to pick him out. So, you know, fair play to him there. He's obviously listened to what Ancelotti's mm. told him and he's uh, put that into practice. Jordan Pickford should be back for Everton today. Whether that's a blessing or a curse, we don't know yet. Calvert-Lewin is missing, as Matt says. Where are the goals going to come from, Ian? Because against Fulham at the weekend, they just looked lost without that focal point. Richarlison is a very good player, but he isn't an out-and-out striker. And it... it it's really difficult to see where they're going to score their goals from, despite the huge amount of attacking talent they have in midfield. It feels like they need that Calvert-Lewin slash and Zaghi figure up front to get the goals. Yeah, and I think um, it probably won't be so much as an issue if they, if they weren't playing Manchester City, who you know are going to have lots of chances through the course of this game. And, and Everton, I think you can be fairly safe in the knowledge that they are going to need to score some goals um, to, to, to keep themselves even in the, in the match tonight. I think they, when they played against Leeds a few weeks ago, Everton, uh, the, the team came out and um, I think Calvert-Lewin was playing, but they, the Everton fans that I saw on social media seemed to be despairing um, about the fact that Gilfie Sigurdsson was playing. And it was like, oh, no, not him in the team again when you're looking down the comments and stuff when the team sheet came out. And then he went there and, and scored, and he seemed, he seemed to have a different role lately. Uh, he seems to be sort of making more, more moves through the, through the middle and, and seems to be a bit more of an attacking threat than he was. So I think if Sigurdsson is playing tonight, he could be a threat, and it obviously he's a very dangerous player in the air as well. Um, and Rodriguez has, has been starting games recently hasn't he but he hasn't been lasting the full um the full 90 and obviously he's a uh, a good source of goals on his day but again then it's that stage of the season really where teams haven't got their full complement of players to to pick from for for whatever reason and uh, that's where it starts to get a little bit interesting <laughs> when uh, you haven't got those options and Manchester City facing them right now or who are absolutely on a roll uh, don't look like stopping anytime soon but you know roles are there to be stopped interestingly Manchester City have had their own striking problems this season doesn't seem to have affected them too much they haven't had Aguero to play for most well I think he's he played like two games this season or something like that Matt yeah yeah, he's, he's only played a couple ridiculous uh, so he's not been around Jesus hasn't really stepped up to the mark but Ilki Gundogan has in recent weeks he has been the goal scoring talisman for Manchester City he's a doubt for tonight and there's been a fair few Manchester City fans that I've seen on social media sweating over his availability I mean it looks like he won't be fit enough to play 
And the fact that that is causing some panic amongst Blues just shows how well he has been playing and how much he's contributed recently, Matt. Yeah, unfortunately, Mr Whippy isn't going to be there to make the rounds tonight. <laughs> um, he's got a he's got a groin strain, um, so that's a that's a big miss. He's he's been our most improved player this season. I mean, people have been talking about the impact of Ruben Diaz to our back four, and which has been absolutely you know fundamental to our form. But Ilkay Gundogan this season, I've always known he's had that quality, and he gets slagged off a lot by what I call City Twitter. You know, these fans that you know they have a football aviers, the like profile picture and stuff like that. And they just talk utter nonsense. They don't know, you know, what makes a good footballer. They think, oh, he just passes side to side, doesn't really do much. But now this season. He's showing his quality. He's quality at Dortmund. I loved him at Dortmund under Klopp, and I, I knew he had that bit of um, that bit of magic about him. And it took, you know, you know, the best part of like three, three and a half, four seasons for that to show for Man City. But he's always had it there. But he's had like likes of David Silva. You know, he's sat in the same midfield as yeah. him. So he's it's hard for you to shine above a guy like David Silva. But now we don't have David Silva. He's there. He's sort of taken the mantle, but he's sort of done it in a different style. David Silva was never known for his goal-scoring prowess. He was always known for his assist-making and his intelligent runs in behind. But Gundogan this season, he, he's always known when to get into the box at the right time. He's always like like Frank Lampard sort of thing. Like he, he just ghost in and you can't track him. And he's he's touched against um, Davison Sanchez. You know, on Saturday, I'm sure Davison Sanchez still waking up with cold sweats about that. You know, putting him on his face. Um, and his, his overall contribution to the way we play football as well, that's, that doesn't go unnoticed. Not just his mm. goal-scoring form, the way he links up the play in the midfield, just the smart runs he makes. So he is going to be a big miss tonight. But um, De Bruyne back training with the squad, Aguero back training with the squad is two, um, two massive plus points for us. I don't think we'll see either of them start tonight. So... Um, I think it be might we might play a double pivot in midfield tonight. We'll we'll see. Um, I hope Foden gets a game because you know he's he's been in banging form this season as well. Bernardo's looking like Bernardo again. You know he wasn't he wasn't himself last season. He had things going off the going on off the pitch that we all knew affected him. But Pep Guardiola came out and said it recently that it did affect him. So he basically you know put truth to that rumor. Um, Raheem Sterling is looking. You know, better than what he has done over the, uh, the the last couple of months. He's looking more like he can contribute now in front of goal. I still don't fancy him one-on-one with the goalkeeper. I always fancy the goalkeeper against him when he's one-on-one. Um, he's one of them, Raheem Sterling, who likes to just put a chance in, you know, instinctively, in being in the right place mm. at the right time. Um, Gabriel Jesus always contributes for us. He always works hard for the team and he has that quality. So, no, I, I don't think Gundogan will be... The, the miss that he's being made out to be tonight. Obviously, he's going to be a big miss, but not like, you know, game-changing. You know you know what I mean? We've still got absolute quality all over the pitch. And we've um, hopefully have Ruben Diaz back in the squad. Um, hopefully, him and Stone start centre-half. Zinchenko has been a revelation this season as well. A lot of City fans were wanting him gone. And he's fair play to the kids. You know, he's had chances to leave and he's not. He's, he's stuck, stuck and fight, fought for his, um, his place in the squad. And he's he, he plays football the right way. He does the simple things right. And people say he's got no pace and stuff like that. And he's not a left-back. Which is true, he's not a left-back. He's a midfielder. But Pep's moulding him into this left-back role. And he seems to be taking it in his stride. And let's not forget, he's been doing it now for you know two seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's new to it. He just seems to be improving to it and getting the hang of it a little bit more. And just, um, and just improving with each game. So tonight, it's not going to be an easy game. Everton coming off the back of a... Uh, defeat against Fulham, so they're going to be wanting to, you know, put that to bed. You know, get a big scalp off uh, the champions elect. Um, maybe they don't want to help their neighbours from Merseyside, but I don't think that'll ever come into it. To be honest, I think um, they'll just be worrying about their European, their European aspirations. So no, it's going to, it's definitely going to be tough game for us tonight. But the way we're playing at the moment, I can't see us getting beat. You mentioned Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne both being back in training with the squad. Obviously, I mean. KDB walks back into the team the moment he's fit. He is back in that starting lineup. Can you say the same about, about Sergio Aguero? Yeah. Because you've coped without him, and undoubtedly he is a fantastic footballer. But he doesn't seem as important to the squad as he once was. Well, that's that's because he's obviously he's not he's not been in the squad as much, and we've been, we've been coping just fine without him. But if we yeah. have a fully fit Sergio Aguero in that team, I want him in that squad. I want him in that squad. He's is um, arguably for me anyway, like. Apart from Thierry Henry, maybe Ruud van Nistelrooy, and obviously not Alan Shearer, but um, best striker in uh, 
Premier League history. Best-South American striker in Premier League history, anyway, I'd say. He's, he's, get, he's getting on a little bit and his injuries seem to be hitting mm. him a little bit harder now. But when you have him in your team, there's no way you can't have him playing up front for you because we know how good he is and we know he can just take a chance like that. He can, and he can he can change a game with one single moment of brilliance. So if he's, if he's fit enough tonight, Pep, if you're listening, just start him, will you, please? <laughs> Getting on a bit at 32, Jesus. Uh, right. In football <laughs> terms, not life terms, Jim. Final question for you, Ian, on this one. As a non-City fan, can you see anyone beating them to the title now? Is it a case of them keeping it simple, keeping it professional, don't make silly mistakes from now until the end of the season and that's it? Trophy's yours. Well, yeah, they've certainly got a, a heavy advantage in the Premier League, haven't they, uh, Man City? And they've actually got a game in hand on uh, on the teams around them, which would which would put them, if they win that, 10 points clear of, of Man United. Must be a great place to be, uh, Matt, uh, being a Man City fan, 10 points clear of Man United. This is the game in hand tonight. Is, that, is this the game in hand? Right, OK. So, yeah, ten points clear. You know, it's it's going to be a Herculean effort for everybody else. Uh, Man City win tonight, ten points clear. You'd be a brave man to bet against them, I think, wouldn't you? I think it's very much looking like City's title. We'll talk next. Well, we'll be answering your questions. The AQA section of Football Social Daily, which you can contribute to next week. Just keep an eye on our social media channels. We'll be answering your questions next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We are finishing off today's podcast by answering your questions. We've got three questions plucked from social media. If you've got a question for the boys at any point, you can get in touch on a Tuesday. If you get in contact with us via social media on Twitter at the Sport Social on Facebook, you can search Sport Social there. We're Sport Social Official on Instagram as well. Any of those places, you can post your questions and we will tackle them on the podcast. We'll kick off with Fraser on Twitter, who's asking who, if anyone. Do you think will be the next manager to leave their job this season? So I guess Fraser's saying either walk away or be sacked. Who are the top candidates to leave? Matt, you can go first on this. Well, this is going to be music to Marley's ears. I think Steve Bruce is going to be the next manager to get the chop. Walk or sacked? I reckon he'll get sacked. I reckon he'll get sacked. I don't think he'll ever walk away from that job. He loves the club too much and he's got too much pride. I reckon he'll just get the chop possibly at the end of the season or if not, if the results keep going the way they are before. I'm sure Marley will be thinking the sooner the better. I just can't see it happening. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Unless they get really sucked into that relegation dogfight, I think Steve Bruce is one of the safer managers, purely because Mike Ashley doesn't want to spend the money to get rid of him. Uh, Ian, who about, what about you? Who would you say was going to be out the door? Well, I do agree with the with the Newcastle Steve Bruce situation, especially if they get dragged into the bottom three. Um, the other one um, is, I don't, I see, looking at the, the the teams now, they look fairly stable. I don't see any particular surprises for, further up the the league. Um, I would probably go with with Big Sam uh, if it becomes clear that you know that the, they're not getting out of this. Um, he's getting pasted week in week out in in a month or two. I can just see him walking to preserve his record of never being relegated. That was my pick actually. I think if anyone from because you look at the Premier League at the moment and it's very difficult to see a manager there that's going to get the sack. The people that you'd argue were at risk would be the likes of Jose Mourinho at Tottenham. And I can't see Daniel Levy spending the four million quid or whatever it's going to cost to cancel his contract. I can't see that happening. Nuno Espirito Santo is having a tough time at Wolverhampton, but I think his previous success at that club protects him a little bit. And then further down, the teams that were going to make changes have probably already made those changes, apart from maybe West Brom, who have made the change to Big Sam. And he has that caveat of having never been relegated from the Premier League. Yeah, I think last game of the season... Two hours before kickoff, when relegation's nailed on. He'll be, be walking out the door and watching the game from the director's suite, enjoying the buffet instead. Uh, yeah. Right, next question. Nick and B. a kind of skull. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nick B, 3241 on Twitter has a catchy name. I wonder if that's your real name, Nick. Uh, catchy name says, do you think West Ham have benefited more than any other team from not having fans in the stadium? What do you reckon, Ian? Very difficult to quantify which teams have and haven't been affected by fans in the stadium. But if you were going to pick one that had benefited, would it be West Ham? 
Well, they do have a big cavernous stadium now, West Ham, which is something that they're not used to. I suppose well, it's probably the fans that are not so much used to it. The players have obviously changed since uh, since the days of, of Upton Park, really. When you look at the league table, um, largely it's teams you'd expect to be up there. Man City, Man United, Leicester. Um, maybe Leicester, to an extent, have, have perhaps overachieved where we maybe thought they would be for this season. But you'd expect to see Chelsea, Liverpool uh, all up there. So West Ham are probably the one that, that do stand out in the league table. And um, and they, they have been playing pretty you know, pretty, pretty good football. So I think that obviously largely is down to what David Moyes has done rather than the surroundings. But... I don't know. I, it's hard to know which which teams have benefited the most from not having fans in. Perhaps the and you're probably the person to speak more about this, really, Jim, being a West Ham fan. But from what I can tell, the West Ham fans can be quite volatile if the team's not having a good time. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, very much so. It could be a really toxic atmosphere at the London Stadium, and it could be at Upton Park as well. That's not one thing that mm. hasn't changed in the move is that the fans get on players' backs very easily if it's not going their way. But I think it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, mm. isn't it? Because at the same time, as aggressive and as toxic as the West Ham fans can be in their own stadium, at the same time, when the team are playing well, there's no atmosphere like it. And I know the London Stadium gets uh, criticism for its lack of atmosphere sometimes. But when it's rocking, it is rocking. So it's difficult to know that whether actually mm. when the team's playing well, they would have got behind them, whether David Moyes' kit team would have been lifted by the atmosphere or whether the those games where we've not looked quite as impressive, the team would have the, the fans would have got on top of them and we might not have seen the results I've seen it said a lot of times this season that's a game we would have previously lost when we've been run close by a team and we would have expected West Ham to crumble mm. they've kind of stayed resolute and maybe fought for a draw whether that's been affected by the presence of fans or not I don't know whether the, if the criticism had been flooding in from the stands they would have crumbled at that point I think it's a it's a very difficult question to answer isn't it but you can kind of see the evidence there to suggest it might be the case particularly with the protests that undoubtedly would have happened about gold and sullivan's running of the club this season as well what do you reckon matt do you think west ham are the beneficiaries of covid and the lack of fans well like you were just saying then you know we've seen the fans turn on the owners before you know there's them iconic images of where they're all stood there facing away from the pitch looking up at the um, the director's box screaming at them yeah um, that's the Burnley game. Yeah, that was the Burnley game, yeah. Um, and the start to the season you made might have had a difference in that as well because if there would have been fans at the start of the season, maybe, you know, they would have got to the uh, the board a little bit more and you might have just panicked, you know, pressed the button and, and sat Moyes, you know, but obviously no fans in the stadium. There's not that pressure on the players. There's not that pressure on the manager. So, yeah, I I think that's a fair comment, to be honest, from, from Nick B there. I think uh, West Ham have benefited from not having that sort of... That pressure on on the players and on the uh, the management staff and on the board um, on the pitch. That I, I think that is a that is a fair comment. I think there's a, f- a few teams that have benefited. Possibly you can say the same for Newcastle as well. Yeah, I think I think I think there's, I think there's a, a couple of teams there that have benefited from it. And you know, it's it's obviously we all want fans back in the stadiums as soon as possible because you know without fo- without fans, football is you know it's nothing, is it? So it's it's the double edged sword there because West Ham are playing the best football that you've seen for a long time Jim probably since um, mm. the I think it was 15-16 season when you had Dimitri Payet last season at Upton Park this is the best well, I've seen of West Ham probably since then yeah. and you've got a genuine chance here if you keep getting results and keep picking up points you could upset the apple cart and you could get that top four why not Jim you know why 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 not if, if it's going to happen any season I'm, I'm going to say it's this one I still maintain we're going to finish eighth I think that is probably the the maximum we can achieve with the squad we've got because injuries are starting to tell already but from a uh, which team has been affected by a lack of fans at the moment whether it's benefiting or not I don't know but I'd say Tottenham are probably up there because the way Tottenham have played this season under Jose Mourinho, I don't believe would have been tolerated if there had been a full Tottenham Hotspur stadium. I don't think the fans would have let Jose Mourinho get away with the tactics and the football that he's played. And we saw this to a certain extent at Manchester United before when he played the negative football at Old Trafford and the fans would get on his back and they'd be screaming, attack, attack. And he reacted weirdly to that pressure, that criticism. He quite often 
respond to it in a press conference and then play four up front the next game and they get absolutely trashed and then kind of come out and go, well, I tried to play attacking football. Look what happens and go back to negative football the next week. It was like his excuse almost, his like reason for playing defensive football. And I, I think if that had been the case, if fans had been in the Tottenham Stadium watching the football that Jose Mourinho has served up at times this season, something would have broken. And whether that was Jose Mourinho getting the sack or whether that was a change in footballing style, I don't know. So it's difficult to know whether they benefited or not. But I certainly think that is, would have impacted the football that had been played at Tottenham. One final question. We're going to go with that. I love this question. I think it might be my favourite question we've ever had on the AQA. It's from Treasure, who contributes quite regularly. So thanks, Treasure, for getting involved. He says, what is your favourite footballer, current or retired, name? And he's offered up Jermaine Frimpong as his suggestion for a brilliant name, which is undoubtedly a great name. I've got a few suggestions here, but I'm going to let Matt go first. Favourite footballer names, Matt, go. I've got one, and he played for Charlton Athletic a few years ago, and he's called Zhengji, and I don't know why, but his name has always stuck in my head, and I think it, it it's, it's rather ironic because Charlton Athletic's badge has a sword on it, and that player's name sounds like the, the sound a sword would make when you switch it around Zhengji, yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean so that's why that, that's, that name's always stuck in me I you think it was the mid 2000s he played for him I don't know if he was any good or yeah, not, I, I like I it when a player being, um, has a name one of my favourite names anyway for, like when Arsenal signed Andre Arshavin I was like, oh, that's really good because an Arsene Wenger, because like, there's a little bit of their name in the club name. I've always liked that. Uh, Ian, who are you going to contribute to this list? Uh, well, I'm going to contribute uh, the name of a Brazilian footballer mm. called Paulista, which doesn't sound particularly exciting in itself. And this is not the famous Paulista who plays for Valencia currently. This is uh, one you probably haven't heard of, but he was a bit of a journeyman through, uh, through Brazilian football. So while he went under the name of Paulista, um, his actual birth name was um, Credence Clearwater Kuto uh, because his parents were such huge fans of the band Credence, <laughs> Credence Clearwater Revival that they uh, decided to give him the full uh, Clearwater treatment. And obviously th it turns out that, that being called Credence Clearwater Kuto is not particularly easy for Brazilian people to say. So <laughs> it's just shortened to Paulista for safety reasons. That's going to take some beating. When we're talking about um, players uh, like sort of having like a connection with the um, the club they play for, like you're talking about Arshavin and Zheng Zhe, it's a shame that uh, Danny Shitsu <laughs> never played for Man United. <laughs> Very good. Very nice, Matt. Right, a, a couple of suggestions from me. One we've talked about already, just names I like. Upa Meccano, I really like as a name. I think that is a great, it just sounds good. Dendonka, I really like the Wolves player. I just think every time I hear it, I say it in my head to the tune of Dizzy Rascal Bonkers. Then Donker, <laughs> I think I really like. Papa Booba, Papa Booba Diop. You can't beat Papa Booba Diop when it comes for Premier League players' names. But the one that I think is probably my favourite name of all footballers is a German coach and former Kaiserslautern player whose name was Wolfgang Wolf. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. It's just, it's the most German name ever. Yeah, I think it, it, And you know what I was saying? It, it ties into what I was saying about players who have names appropriate for their clubs. And the biggest travesty is football in football is that Wolfgang Wolf never played for Wolverhampton Wanderers or Wolfsburg. Oh, no. But, but, how, but how good would that have been if that had happened? There was also a player for York City uh, back in the day who was a well-known Scottish midfielder and he signed for York City. He was made the captain of York City and his name was Emmanuel Panther. Ooh. That's uh, got to be a suave name to take into the local nightclub after the match. That's good. You, you'd definitely buy a shirt with Panther written on your back as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> right, that seems like an appropriate place to finish today's podcast. Ian, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you. Nice one, guys. Don't forget to click subscribe if you haven't already and you'll get the next Football Social Daily podcast as soon as it's ready, including picking over all the action from tonight's games that we discussed earlier. And don't forget to leave those reviews. Do it now. Get on iTunes, get on Spotify, however you're listening, and tell us what you make of this show. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.